We have like so many cool new gadgets now. I have an Alexa. Or what, what do you <laughs> Were these wedding Alexa? gifts or did you just go buy them all? Yeah, no, they're wedding gifts. So it's super fun. Didn't you tell it. me? Didn't you tell me you got a Nintendo for your, you put that on your wedding registry? You put a Nintendo on your wedding registry? Nintendo Switch, yeah. And my one friend, um, a few of my friends have them, but one of my friends had it like two or three years ago and he brought it to a trip with, that all my buddies and I went to. And I loved it. And uh, every year another person has it. And Sarah basically registered for 90% of the things that were on our registry. And I was like, Fuck it. I wanna I'm put some stuff that I want on there and I put a Nintendo Switch on there, hoping that some, you know, wealthier relative might might buy it for me. And my one friend who had a Nintendo Switch uh saw it on there and I saw him on my bachelor party. He's like, Did you see what I got you? I was like, No, not yet. And he's like, Yeah, I got you that Nintendo Switch. That's he's awesome. like, if you have the balls to put a Nintendo Switch on your wedding registry, I'm gonna get it for you. So. I I, hats up to him that i mean and to you too for having the balls to do that i think that's yeah <laughs> that's awesome the fun fact is sarah plays it more than i do though so <laughs> hey that's why it's a good wedding gift you know exactly awesome well with that being said shall we dive in let's do it Good evening, everybody, and welcome to This American Horror Story, an unofficial podcast about the FX hit show, American Horror Story. I am your host, Tyler Moss, here with my co-host. Chris Husted. What's up, everyone? Uh, What's up, Tyler? Welcome to October. Hello, hello. I am back stateside now. Apologies for um, the delay last week, but, you know, we are both back in the USA from our random travels. And are good to go for the rest of the season. Before we dive into the episode titled, Could It Be Satan? Which is how you're supposed to say it, assuming it's a church lady reference, (laughs) like you and I both assumed. Um, I would like to correct a couple of what I'm going to call gaffes from last episode. Uh, (laughs) We we each had one. The first one was, um, you had mentioned in the preview that you thought it was... um, Maggie, who Madison was seeing in a flashback at the store, but it turned out to be, of course, Michael visiting her in her own personal hell. So no big one, right. but I Whoops. know you wanted, yeah. Um, I know you wanted to correct that on Facebook, and then the other one I wanted to correct, mm-hmm. which is more egregious, or at least has been more egregious to music fans out there, is I had searched for uh, the lyrics for the song that happens at the beginning of the Masquerade, and had thought or had brought up what I assumed to be the song Love and Affection by Nelson. Turned out the song was actually Baby, excuse me, Baby I'm a Want You by the band Bread, which music fans from uh, of, of Bread were very disappointed to hear that I, I got that one wrong. I could blame it on a very shitty um, hotel Wi-Fi that wouldn't allow me to play the YouTube video to confirm what the song was, but that would be very cheap and lazy on my behalf. So instead I'm going to say... I could have right. looked harder to actually find out which song that was. I literally just thought it was Love and Affection by Nelson for whatever reason. So, sincere well, apologies for that. Let me tell you, even my mom sent me a note, a text, uh, a little upset that uh, we got that wrong. Ugh. See, I think, you know, blame it on our youth? I don't know. 
I don't have a good answer. Also, I, I want to be like, I didn't know my mom listened to our podcast. So, <laughs> what's up, mom? That was a major gaffe. That was my serious bad, um, and I apologize for that. But the song, apparently, I don't know what if there is any actual connection to Baby I'm a Want You. Maybe I just wanted that X Men connection to be real, but with the Love and Affection yep. song, I think that might have been it. Sometimes we wish very hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was that was bad. Um, before we, we uh, there's an, a theory I want to discuss. Um, before we dive into the actual details of this specific episode, um, we have a a self-proclaimed Bible nerd on Facebook who found some really interesting um, connections that I want to share with you. But before we do that, I want to remind everybody, of course, that you can correct us when we mess things up, as people have done, on Facebook at facebook.com slash this American Horror Story. And also you can join us in the conversation. We really appreciate that. Heck, we're just two guys having a conversation about a show we enjoy. This is a living room. You all play a part in it. We really appreciate your voices. And you can also email us at thisamericanhorrorstory at gmail.com. That's awesome, too. Um, before we dive into these uh, some of these theories and the details of the episode, I want to ask what you are drinking this evening, Chris. I have a beer. It's called Yeah Buoy, like the buoys uh, on lakes and in oceans. And it's it's a um, Indiana Pale Lager, and it's put out by Logboat, which is a local brewery here in columbia missouri what are you drinking nice I've, i got to try some of that uh, local columbia missouri beer and it was quite good when i yeah. was there uh, i'm drinking a negroni it is about time for me to find some apple cider i just wasn't able to find any since flying in last night but i'm gonna have cider and bourbon next week mark my words nice it's october that's right gotta get ready so Without further ado, let's dive in. Well, okay. So I want to first, before we, we get into the actual play-by, well, not play-by-play, but kind of our um, analysis of the episode, I want to share uh, Amber from Facebook's um, biblical insight, I guess. So she has pointed out a few different things, uh, some of the um, Bible connections that I think you and I might have missed in our discussions before mm-hmm. um, that I think are really compelling and, and add a lot to the story. The first is that she says Michael Langdon isn't just the Antichrist, but he's a negative reflection of Christ himself for his role in ushering the bunker gang to the sanctuary. It's like an evil version of salvation by grace rather than uh, through work because there's no way to earn or manipulate one's way in, but rather is based on some other more intrinsic designation of being worthy. So instead of kind of the idea that you, I guess, um, you know, work you know, your way into heaven by being a good person or something, it's completely, you know, based right. on your, your arbitrary evilness. Not arbitrary, but based on your kind of evil deeds. Um, mm-hmm. And you can't really work your way in. Uh, she also points out that Venable symbolizing uh, symbolizes a darker, evil, self-absorbed Old Testament God. Um, her rules being were, mm. ar- were arbitrary, you know, her punishments were very harsh, and the tension between her and Michael seemed to reflect the tension between kind of the law of um, the... Old Testament, I believe, and the salvation and theology of the cross moving from the Old to New Testament. Venable could That's a great call. Yeah, we have some really excellent Bible close reading here. Venable could also be interpreted as a fallen angel for going rogue against the cooperative and simultaneously feeling superior to the purples who wanted to be a purple in private. So I think those are excellent insights. Um, she says that we kind of already got the, the you know the surface level of this, but that Timothy and Emily represent, of course, Adam and Eve. I like how she combines them into... Um, Timely, which I think that we could do if they happen to uh, still survive into future episodes. Um, and their original chaste obedience to Venable um, until they gain the knowledge of good and evil from the Antichrist Apple book. 
uh, excuse me, Apple MacBook, which we've kind of pointed out that as well. Their loss of innocence, yep. hookup, original sin precludes the fall of man, where everyone is booted out of Eden and prevented from reaching, quote, you know, the sanctuary, um, eating the tree of life by eating the snake poisoned apples. Uh, so that a lot of that imagery we got, but that puts it a lot more eloquently than I think you or I have said it. And finally, she says, I also see Mrs. Mead, Constance Langdon 2.0, which we now know it's not Constance Langdon 2.0, but we'll talk about that later, as right. the angel of death. Um, she works as an agent for Venable, the Old Testament god, killing Stu and inflicting terror on the rest of the gang, but this is a more out of a sense of duty, devotion, and regard for her superior and the chain of command than genuine bloodlust. She has no stake in any other... Uh, and any of this other than to obey and act as the uh, hand of God, Venable Langdon. Um, and I thought this was all really interesting insight. And it kind of, I read this before I watched last night's episode. And I think it added another layer of um, thought for me as I was thinking through some of the symbolism in this episode. So I'm going to apply that as we talk through it. Um, she also had a lot of fun applying Excellent. some of the deadly sins to our characters, which we'd also mentioned before. Pride being Coco. Um, lust being that's Mr. something Gallen. you tend to do a lot. Yeah, I mean the deadly sins have been kind of prevalent throughout the entire well, series we have of the hotel killer, right? Right, exactly. And so it only makes sense that kind of it's it's in a more tangible um, shape here. So let's go ahead and dive into the episode. Um, we learned right away, it, you know, we had both surmised at the end of last week's episode that um, Miss Mead was the manifestation of Constance Langdon. Turns out that is not the case, and we learned that early on. Yep. It's a new character. It is a new character, and we get a flashback to a young Michael living with this Miss Mead lookalike, uh, praying to mm-hmm. Satan. So I, how much of a surprise mm-hmm. was that for you? This was a fun and, sequence. Um, I don't know. What were your first impressions of of this new character? I liked it. It was it was uh, you know it was more of a Kathy Bates character that I'm used to seeing her portray in her movies. I guess so. It's kind of obviously styled very differently. But I liked her uh, demeanor. It was fun. She was this you know maternal Satan worshiper scolding her you know surrogate son to clean his room up and. You know, the they, they pray to Lucifer before dinner. It's it um, with that theory that that Michael Langdon is the you know opposite uh, is really comes through in this because they look like they live in a perfectly normal suburban home, yet they do everything the opposite religiously. Uh, but they still have to clean. He still has to clean his room and stuff. It, it was and it was it, I could see Kathy Bates having fun with it. It was campy, but it was fun. What did you think? Yeah, I mean, really, it was kind of it's it's kind of sweet, you know. I mean, Michael seems a lot less creepy. I would say. I mean, he seems like a lot more like a normal kid. And you know, aside from the fact that they're praying to Satan, um, and that Miss Mead admits to having killed her first three husbands, like she she seems like a caring, good caregiver. You know, it seems like a relatively normal household in a lot of ways. Right. Um, I would also say, from my perspective, I'm very glad that it's not a manifestation of Constance because that, as we pointed out last week, that wouldn't have made a lot of sense. Because um, it wasn't like her character at all. No. So, I, you know, we had hoped it kind of maybe it was a different character. And I'm very glad it was. But it leaves, obviously, a lot of questions open. Because now we wonder, well, how did this kid, Michael Langdon, get from being in the custody of Constance Langdon to being in the custody of this um, Miss Mead or Miss Mead, you know, whoever the real person Miss Mead is. Whoever she is, yeah. Um, and obviously, kind of, Michael is telling Miss Mead about this character as... 
the you know scene from that very end of last episode is happening and the we and the witches show up and we learn that they had placed identity spells on Mallory and Coco to quote unquote protect them. Um, so Mallory and Coco were um, already witches, but they didn't realize and had already had interactions with these characters, but didn't realize they were uh, right witches. We also realize or learn that um, Dina is one of the voodoo witches. It sounds like from the yes. um, uh, the Angela Bassett school of kind of voodoo witchery, and it's not really Marie clear Laveau what her school. connection is. The Marie, correct, yeah, and I believe Marie Laveau died at the end of Coven. Isn't that right? I believe so. Um, but we're not really sure where Dina fits into this quite yet. I mean, obviously, even in her interaction with Michael, she said she wasn't there to cause trouble. So she seems like she's kind of an X-Factor character, which is interesting. Well, do you remember previous episode when she is having her interview about maybe making it to the... What do they call it? The Sanctuary? Oh, shoot. The sanctuary. Thank you. You know, I was gonna call it the hilltop. The that's another show. <laughs> <laughs> but there is a sanctuary also there. Anyway, um, and her when when Dina and Michael Langdon are talking, they have this knowledge of each other in a way. Do you remember that? Yeah. She uh-huh. says yeah, something yeah. like, "They've interacted." I know you're before. stronger than me, and he knows who she is. So I think. There's some relationship there. Obviously, we see Langdon going around chatting with all the witches in this episode, but there's something there that we don't know the full story yet. So it'll be interesting to see what that is and if maybe, you know, he went out and scouted out the voodoo witches earlier or something. I'm not sure. But yeah, right. There's a, there's something there. For sure. And then this kind of whole episode ends with, uh, I think, a Francis McDormand line that's something along, it's something close to, you know, I thought the fi- I thought the world would end with fire and ice, which he's referring to. The um, well, she's referring to the Game Bible, but she's yeah, well, and she's kidding. also referring to uh, Robert Frost poem, you know. But I it, that all drives back to the Bible, obviously. Um, but then also, she says, you know, I thought it would end with fire and ice, not witches and warlocks. And so, in some ways, for me, and the rest of the episode kind of confirms this, we had a lot of speculation about this being kind of a guys versus girls situation, and it more and more seems to be playing right. out to be the case. Um, at least that's how I, you know, when I heard this, I was like, oh man, I think we might be on it. We might have actually been onto something here, and I feel like the rest of the episode kind of corroborated that. How did you feel? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, this sets everything up for sort of a, you know, a, a gender battle. Um, gender roles, there's a lot of discussion about inequity and inequality, and who has power over whom? It's it's really uh, kind of interesting to see the tables turned in this as we as we see when the council meets, um, and see the men up in arms about certain issues, and the women having controlled the power for so long, and and uh, men trying to figure out a way to steal it back or get it back or think they have it back. So this is that's quite the theme in this whole uh, episode, for sure. And really, the rest of the episode is kind of Michael's origin story. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're rewinded three years before the bomb, which if if indeed the apocalypse is taking place in October 2019, which is what we had initially surmised, although I don't know that that's actually been confirmed through the series yet. This would be in 2016. And it's confirmed to us that the outpost number three actually was the Warlock School. Um, that we thought it might be um, it, called the Hawthorne School for Exceptional Young Men, the male equivalent, uh, effectively, right. of Miss Robichaux in, in New Orleans. Um, 
and we are introduced to, I guess, the four kind of leaders of the school. We, we get Cheyenne Jackson back, which is great. Mm-hmm. And three new American Horror Story cast members. I believe they're all new, at least. We get Ariel, who's kind of the head of the... Um, if it's not I a covenant... Like the chancellor. I, I, yeah, he's the chancellor of the Warlocks. I'm um, played by John John mm-hmm. Briones. Uh, Briones? I'm not sure how you say his name exactly, but he's another Versace alum. Um, okay. Al- alongside um, Billy Porter, who we already knew was going to be in the series um, from Pose. And right. B.D. Wong, who at least I know Holler. primarily... Yeah, I know primarily from uh, as White Rose and Mr. Robot. Oh, oh, that's right. I forgot he is in Mr. Robot. I was gonna say I, I'm, I'm a little older, and I'm sure you know him in this too. But I know him from Jurassic Park. Yeah, and he's been in the Jurassic Park movies as well. But obviously, great actor. That's right. He is in Mr. Robot. I forgot. Yeah, that's a really fun character too. Um, and also, funny, like interestingly enough, also a. Um, you know, if you're familiar with the show, he's also plays a character in drag too. So interesting, mm-hmm. both him and, and Billy Porter in this episode. But I thought they were all terrific. It was great to see this group together, um, and they're kind of discussing. You know, they 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 have this video footage, security camera footage of Michael, um, basically killing this detective after he abuses him. Yeah, uh, and I mean, I really liked how this was shot it i mean there's a lot of things i liked about this episode but um they they review the camera footage very creepy kind of seeing on the you know the camera the security camera footage the security guard like fly against the ceiling and have all his limbs go different directions and i think his head ends up exploding or something like that it's like it's pretty gruesome yep, yep he looks at the at the camera says save me and then pop uh, i mean explodes. that felt like a very classic horror movie kind of moment to me oh totally it's it, pretty great yeah, and then of course they have kind of a debate over whether or not to let him in um, into the war, you know the warlock school. They're looking for the alpha, which is the equivalent of the supreme. Um, they want to supplant the supreme, and f- I mean I think Ariel specifically kind of has a feeling that Michael's raw power represents something a little bit more interesting. Um, I what was I going to say here? Um, I so this kind of debate for me also kind of. If we're thinking about things in this biblical context, there's a lot of ways in which you could think about kind of the different schools of um, Christianity and, you know, whether or not to let certain people in and all this kind of stuff. It, it felt very reminiscent of um, these kind of biblical roots that are throughout the series. And, you know, once I read um, at least the kind of details that we presented earlier, Amber kind of outlined the kind of biblical for um, imagery in the series. This is really what it made me think of. Um I mean, what, what what did you think when you were introduced to this the Warlock School and, and the different characters here and kind of their debate? It re- well, first of all, I, a negative note: the CGI was really shitty when they're putting that glass ball back together in the beginning. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty bad. I I could have done without that, um, but you know, it, it it reminded me of that movie. Um, it was like the boy version of the craft. Do you know what I'm talking about? I can't remember. It was about, it was like a school with a bunch of, it was like an all boys school and they all turn out to have like magical powers. It's like a total, you know, late teens, early twenties type of movie. I don't know. 10 years ago or something. Yeah. I'm not sure I've seen that movie. It doesn't really matter, but it's, it was kind of like the, 
it was like the boy version of the craft. So it kind of gave me that type of a vibe, like this, you know, magical, gothic, young adult novel again. Yeah. But watching the video of of um, Michael with the detective and them having this debate was, at the core of it to me, was Cheyenne Jackson. I'm not sure of his character's name just yet. But, you know, they're debating, is he actually a warlock or is that demonic possession? Right. Uh, so, so that whole argument, and this is my question at the end of this whole episode, is still this. Do you, does he have magical powers as a warlock or is this straight up demonic possession and that he's tricking them to think that he has the magical powers of warlock, but really he has, I mean, we know how he was born, but does he have a little bit of each? I'm not sure. So, the, but yes, ultimately the conversation of who do we let in, who do we let out is a big deal, but they are so excited to supplant the Supreme and to have something more powerful than all the witches that a lot the, the majority of them push Michael through to get picked up by the school. Right, and we find out that they have a lot of resentment toward the witches because when Cordelia, at the end of Coven, kind of came out and outed all the witches, it sounds like mm-hmm. um, the warlocks kind of got attacked to some degree. There was some kind of backlash and they had to go underground to kind of avoid exactly like literally they went underground right exactly and i don't know about you but the scene in which ariel um goes and meets michael in the jail cell it reminded me a lot of the scene in the harry potter books when dumbledore goes to tell tom riddle he's a wizard yes oh (laughs) (laughs) i love harry potter yes yeah Yeah. and and obviously tom riddle's a lot younger in in that interaction but in, in some ways, it felt very inspired by that. And, of course, at that time, Tom Riddle had a darker past mm-hmm. than he led on to Dumbledore. And same here. Like, we find out Michael, like, absolutely killed that butcher after he insulted the Miss Mead character by, like, stabbing yeah. him with all those Did knives. Did you think he was going to use the, the deli slicer or a meat grinder? That did seem like it was prone for that, but it, I mean, it was still a good scene. God. Oh yeah, no, we're, we're gonna take like what, like four or five knives and just stab you in a line, <laughs> right? And so then, obviously, he gets ushered into the school, kind of gets fast tracked. I don't know about you, but I thought it was very, it was like a little too fast. That after a month, they're already training him to do the the seven wonders or whatever, you know? Um, yeah, that they're already what giving level him a little... warlock use. Yeah, it seemed like he was getting pushed through pretty quickly. I mean, how did you feel about the CGI with the scrying and the transporting and the changing of the molecules? It seems like there's more um, special effects this season than there's been in some past I mean, we've seen aliens and different things like that, but this is more like uh, high-level sci-fi type in fantasy type stuff we're including um which would make sense why we have some directors and writers from you know with with kind of sci-fi backgrounds uh how did you feel about this whole kind of series where they put him through these different trials i thought it was fine it was kind of fun you know it's you know it's uh it, it reminds me of like a harry potter film when when uh, they discover a new spell and they try it out and something happens it's exciting to see it um and i thought the cgi for this wasn't as bad or as you know terrible as that first part with the uh, when the, the guys are doing the spell in the circle with the was it a crystal ball or just a glass ball or something I don't know what it was yeah it was like they um, were like reassembling crystals into a glass ball yeah I'm not even entirely yeah. sure um, but the scrying test that was kind of cool I mean he, uh, you know just reaching through the mirror pulling the book out uh, the teleporting the second test that was I think that's fairly standard to do right now but it, it was kind of cool that the way they added the element of 
you know, throwing a knife or a brick at him. So he had to teleport. And then he ended up in on the ceiling, which we've seen him on the ceiling. Do you remember when he was hovering over looking at people? I can't, was it as rubber, as rubber man or, or yes, I I mean, it it wasn't rubber. It was rubber man, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, well, no, but I think that's a good point to point out because even if, I mean, if rubber man is kind of a manifestation, even if it's not Michael exactly, it's, it's like, it seems to me like it's a part of him, you know, because rubber man was not in the, um, outpost number three until Michael showed up. So right. I do right. think that there's so, some kind of connection there. But the you know if, if you watch uh, Insidious or these movies where the monsters kind of or hereditary, where all of a sudden like the bad person's like up on the ceiling, like in the corner, like looking down below. That is so creepy. So that's either foreshadowing something that we've already seen, you know, even because this is a flashback. Uh, or it just shows his insidious nature to, to pop up up in the ceiling, which is always very creepy to me. Well, right, um, and then, and then when they have him the, change, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was saying the third test was was you know fine. It, I think it took a little too long. Uh, it was very dramatic with his hand motions, but of course he goes overboard with it and he starts going crazy and uh, like starts freezing the actual room, which was which was interesting. It shows how powerful he really is. Well, and it also shows the darkness in him, kind of. And even though, you know, mm-hmm. the, the wizards recognize that, but other than Cheyenne Jackson, the other three kind of like are, like you said, kind of so obsessed with the idea of overtaking the coven, they don't pay attention to kind of the, the darkness that's represented in the strength of his powers. What he's doing, yeah. Uh, and then after that, of course, we jump back to the co- uh, to the coven in New Orleans, which is kind of cool. We see a flash or um, a flashback to you know a, a ground hunting ground we're familiar with. Um, mm-hmm. Violet is teaching an assortment of young witches, um, including Zoe. Or sorry, not Violet. Jeez, Zoe is teaching an assortment of young <laughs> right right witches. actress, different character. <laughs> well, and also, wasn't Zoe killed at the end of Coven as well? I, there's a lot of questions about you know people dying coming back to life here. Zoe um, um, tried to, I forget the correct term. I keep using Harry Potter terms, but like apparate or whatever to try to save Queenie, I think. And then she ended up like like, like teleporting onto the top of the fence. And got like gored, right? And got gored, yeah. But Queenie saved her somehow. Is oh, I, I, thought Queen, I thought Queenie couldn't save her for whatever reason. And the, the reason, then Kyle killed madison because oh, madison yes, refused that's to right. bring her you're back right, you're right yeah queenie couldn't save her right um, so it, somehow what anyway she ends up alive because she ends up it was her and queenie with cordelia at the end the three of them are the alive ones yeah so a lot of questions because i think you know sorry go ahead. cordelia brings back uh zoe do we see that or is that just assumed i'm trying to um, remember people are gonna be so mad at us right now because we don't remember no. uh, yeah, well, anyway yeah, I guess I, I don't remember that exact part. I do know that Madison did die. Um, Madison was died, and Misty Day is gone, and... Well, and Frances Conroy was gone, too. She was burned. Myrtle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, there's, I mean, regardless, there's a question about people coming back from the dead. Of course, we do know how, I mean, we, we see how Queenie comes back. But before we get to that, um, of course, we see Zoe teaching. Mallory's a student at the um, witching school. So, this mm-hmm. is before they changed her identity and everything like that. Um so we get a glimpse of Mallory beforehand and kind of her exceptional talent. What that means exactly, we're not entirely sure yet. Um, before we the find witches out are she's asked, a descendant also from like a, a famous Salem witch, I believe. 
Yeah, they, yeah, they say her bloodline goes all the way back to Salem or something like that, which is interesting um, and worth thinking about in the context of other seasons. Um, but actually, I, 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 someone shared a theory with us that I will bring up at the in the kind of the aftermath of talking about everything else related to Mallory. Um, but then, of course, we see Cordelia. Um, what's Francis Conroy's character's name again? Uh, Myrtle. 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 We see uh, Cordelia, Myrtle, Myrtle, and Zoe go to California to meet with the warlocks because they want Cordelia to administer the Seven Wonders. Uh, and she's absolutely aghast at that request, doesn't want to do it, still feels somewhat responsible for, you know, Misty Day um, getting, you know, stuck in, in hell from that whole experience and everything like that. But they're re- and they're required to go, right? If someone calls a council meeting, they are required to be there. So it seems. And also, you know, Cordelia is skeptical because apparently testosterone is a natural inhibitor to magic, um, which yes. is interesting. I wrote that down too. It impedes access to the ethereal realm. Yeah, which I thought was it was kind of a fun little side fact. Um, also, we know those witches aren't going to pass up an entrance to anything. A slow mo walk to a Porter's Head song, whatever it's going to be, they're into it. Again, this is my th- this is my theme of the whole season so far: American Horror Story entrances. Yeah, slow mo walk anywhere. That's classic Coven. Um, um, also, I forgot how good the fashion is was in Coven. Like th- these women are dressed fantastically; they're so fierce. I can't believe I said that. <laughs> <laughs> totally, but really. No. Like I love Zoe's look with the hat and the suit. Yeah, I mean that was an absolute factor of that season. Also, a factor. I mean that was a part of Hotel as well. I would say, um, yes, which of course yeah. then when we kind of have. We not. I mean, we get taken back to the coven in New Orleans, and we also get taken back to the Hotel Cortez in this episode because we also see Cordelia really lamenting her inability to, you know, bring Queenie out of the hotel, which she calls a quote unquote hellmouth. Um, and it was also fun to see James Patrick March again too. We might have Evan Peters playing four characters in this season. <laughs> of course, Michael overhears all of this. Mm-hmm. And then takes it upon himself to to prove himself that he's worthy of uh, you know taking the the seven wonders test I guess by proving he's more powerful than Cordelia by pulling Queenie out of the hotel. It's not quite clear how he does this, but he has the ability. And then we see Madison in the department store. Um, so last we'd seen Madison, as I mentioned before, she was strangled to death by Kyle at the end of Coven. And I don't believe there's any follow-up on what happened between then and now. So I guess she went to her own personal hell after that, which was a department store where everyone compares her acting ability to Lindsay Lohan. Or, no, they mistake her for Lindsay Lohan. They don't even... Yeah. They, that, which is amazing. That was just... It's just perfect. Love it. And she's so upset and then has to try to fold towels in this giant tower. Um. This this was a fun scene to return to kind of classic Madison. I think one of her lines was, I haven't had a good dicking in forever. <laughs> yeah. She's still the same Madison. <laughs> yeah, so that was that was pretty funny. And um, Michael's returned and even brought Queenie with him to retrieve her and prove to prove a point. Uh, and then we, I'll, we end the episode with this pretty awesome scene in which, you know, the witches are leaving the, uh, you know, warlock school thinking that, discussion is over here and then Michael shows up with the two witches that Cordelia wasn't able to retrieve from the afterlife to show just how powerful you know Michael really is I guess and we're left kind of with a cliffhanger what exactly happens after that 
So, I guess what I want to ask you is, 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 is this whole episode, this is an entire episode of a flashback. We still haven't gotten back to the sanctuary. At least we got to some of the characters that we really wanted to see. Next episode, are we are we going to be still immersed in a flashback where Michael's taking the Seven Wonders test, or are we finally going to move the story forward a little bit more? Right. I think this episode really felt like another episode or the start of a new season of Coven. Like, this was a Coven episode, right? Mm-hmm. Totally. I mean, we a Coven episode where we get to spend a good amount of time uh, at the Hotel Cortez, which was a fun surprise. Um, looking forward, um, did you see the preview for next week? I don't want to jump all the way there, but... I did see the preview for next week. It, it does look like we're going to get more of a flash forward of Cordelia. A flash forward of something that happened in the past. Did that... Uh, Cordelia in the past having a flash forward vision of what the future is going to look like. So I think we still might be in the past next week. Uh, but yeah. hopefully it brings us up to the present again. Yeah, I had some questions for you about that kind of after we give the episode ratings and things about what exactly that yeah. was showing us. Um, yeah, I mean, well, so here, this week I'll go ahead and go first. And I'll say the overall... I really enjoyed this episode. Um, I thought that it was, we finally got some of the throwbacks to characters that we were hoping to see in the earlier episodes. So it felt fulfilling in that regard. Um, We got a good amount of the kind of classic coven feel. And I I didn't realize how much I'd kind of missed that. We had the, you know, return to Miss Robichaux along with the return to Cortez, which was pretty cool. Um, getting to see those characters. And again, it was just, I didn't realize how much, like, I missed them. And it was fun to see James Patrick March. Or it was fun to see, you know, Cordelia and Myrtle Snow and Zoe again. And Madison, of course. And, and Queenie. And, yeah, I you know, even though this was kind of an or it was also fun to kind of see Michael in the different context and see kind of how he got to where he was. And I really enjoyed seeing the Warlock School and the dynamic there and all of that. Um, yeah, for me, this was this, this was a really enjoyable episode and it answered some of the questions and kind of the theories that we had laid out seemed to in some ways be coming together. And of course, new questions are, are brought up, but I think that's natural in this kind of episode. I think um, what would be a good rating... Um, device for this episode. Mm. Shitty crystal balls. Shitty CGI <laughs> crystal balls. C- CGI crystal balls. Okay, I think that I'm going to give it. I'll give it a solid four CGI crystal balls on my behalf. What? Ooh. What's What's your take on this episode? Ooh, interesting that you chose that. Um, I also actually really enjoyed this episode. It was pretty fun. And I think it because it, it had a lot of the familiarity of Coven. I got to see, you know, characters I really enjoy. Uh, but it also was part of this better storyline that wasn't the storyline that we ended up with in Coven, especially the second half of Coven when it was a weird war and things were happening and it just grew too fast and grew too big in the actual season of coming this is nice it's it's within its own magical world and uh, we're getting the backstory but it's also filling us in almost in a fan service way like what happened to my favorite characters kind of like an epilogue Uh, but also introducing the next challenge that they're going to face and i really like that there are a few things 
that I bullet pointed in this episode that I enjoyed a lot. One of them is uh, Billy Porter's character when they're at the council uh, and Cordelia's talking about how awful she feels about not being able to get Queenie out uh, and having to leave her behind. And Billy Porter's character says, of course it's the black one. I see you, Miss Supreme. (laughs) I thought that was really great. Also, I really, like you said, I really loved seeing March uh, with Queenie. Just playing cards, playing spades and gin. He seemed um, so that lonely. That was a really cool scene. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was fun. And, you know, it makes you forget. A, it reminded me that, oh, yeah, this is one of my favorite Evan Peters characters. I forgot how much I enjoyed March. Um, yeah. And this scene with Queenie, whom we also love, makes you kind of forget that he was a psycho serial killer who, like, trapped people in the house. Yeah, you um, kind of felt bad really, for him that he was losing his card playing party. Yeah. Yeah, I actually did feel bad for him. Um, and it was great the way they had that whole dynamic where she like beat him like, I don't know, 34,000 times in a row <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Um, I, I also really appreciated um, seeing March when Michael came in and had that kind of read of like, oh, this guy's different. And him telling Queenie like, no, you need to take his hand or I don't think you have a choice. Take his hand. And uh, he's like, I'll get you out of here. And Queenie's like, all right, be right back. <laughs> I yeah. thought that was really great also. Um, it was cool to be back there. And then actually, in a funny, sweet way, I liked seeing the Queenie and Madison reunion and when they were down in uh, Madison's personal hell at Walmart or whatever. That was kind of funny. And the characters were just on point. So I yeah. liked that as well. Yeah, me too. I would give this episode four cgi crystal balls as well i thought i was very happy with it i liked it it served its purpose it was great makes me much more excited about what's to come than the first two episodes of the season so i think we're kind of building in a good in a good progression here i agree yeah that's a solid eight you know i want to i do want to get to the sanctuary um but this was Mm -hmm. i think some necessary backstory we get we kind of get we needed to learn more about Michael for sure. And this was, this was time well spent because it also included some of our favorite characters from past seasons. And it really has me wondering what ended up happening with Michael that, you know, Constance disappeared and we got the kind of miss me, you know, real person. And uh, we know that that's coming in episode six. And so we have got one more right. episode before that arrives. And then we'll be getting to, um, our whole kind of murder house flashback right. that I think we'll see the Harmons and everybody else too. So, which is an interesting point. We have we have experienced season eight. Obviously, another good part is we finally left the um, the bunker for a while. Even if we went to a flashback to that same outpost, uh, it was nice to leave that library um, with with the, in the present time in October twenty nineteen or whatever it's supposed to be. Um, but we've seen the apocalypse season we've seen coven and we've now seen uh season five hotel so it's going to be you know i know it's supposed to be a crossover between murder house but we haven't even seen murder house and we're almost halfway through the season yeah so i I guess what exactly i guess other than michael does anything make that a crossover that's hard to say we'll have to see I'm, i'm excited to see how they do it yeah me too um do you have questions for me because i have a few questions for you I do too. So why don't you okay. hit me first, and then I'll send, and then I'll, I'll we'll kind of go back and forth. Okay. How do you think Myrtle 
came back because we know that she was dead. How did she come back? Um, yeah. I mean, well, and I guess we kind of have, you know. I Will guess we, we find we out? Can't... Or is that just going to be ignored? Well, I'm I'm hopeful that we're going to find out because I feel like we, we found out, you know, the story behind Queenie. We found out the story behind Madison now. Um, and I feel like... It's not going to be. I don't think it's going to be overlooked by the writers. They seem a little bit more attentive to that this this season. So I think we will find out. Okay. Um, I, do you, you think? Do you think Michael did it? Helped bring her back? No, because she seemed to be back before then. So I wonder if okay. Cord, somehow Cordelia was able to do it. I mean, it sounds oh, like right, Misty duh. Day was not around at that point. So maybe somehow Cordelia was able to do it. It sounds like. Right. Um, question I have for you is: You posted something on Facebook of a one of ryan murphy's instagram posts and i wonder if you can describe that for me real quick before i go into a little bit more detail about it oh yeah I, I i would love to pull it up right now but it looks like it's like a supper a dinner with a bunch of our witches um i'm gonna pull it up right now uh but also a few of our warlocks all sitting together at a dinner table uh cordelia we have myrtle we have madison queenie coco uh mallory and I, it looks like it's Zoe, and then whoever Billy Porter's character is, and then right in the front uh, corner we have what looks like Nana, Joan Collins' character, and then there's also, um, oh actually no, that's just a that's a serving tray. I was like, there's a missing uh, plate there, but uh, so so it looks like we might get Joan Collins back as well, and there's some type of a dinner that's being had, uh, clearly in the present because Coco's in it. Right, yeah. So you shared this, and then um, we were wondering about Nana coming back. And our, of course, our friend Bryce um, commented on it that uh, Nana is actually portraying Mimi DeLongpre, who is one of the old Supremes of Miss Robichaux. And I'm not sure if this is just a theory of his or if he actually heard it somewhere. But it would be, I mean, it would be interesting because we we know of Miss of um, Mimi DeLongpre. As uh, I, there's, we I think we see the coven in Coven when she was the head of it. Um, it's the episode that features. Mm, I want to. Um, what's Meryl Streep's daughter's name? Oh crap! Um, I I remember this now. Um, oh, I can't remember. <laughs> yeah. So it's but it's that episode, and it, I and you know it was like I don't remember if it was like the 1950s or. 40s or, or something like that but um I, yeah and i'm not sure where price got bryce got this uh info he's gonna have to email us and let us know where he got the intel but if that is the case that would mean that Grace perhaps Gummer. either nana also had kind of some identity you know thing happen to her or it's a different character played by joan collins it's, we'll have to see but if it really is this mimi delong pre then they're you know um pulling you know bringing back to life some of the old uh, heads of the coven to build up power against Michael. Also a note on, on the DeLong priest surname. Um, I, I stumbled upon kind of while going through a black hole in the American horror story wiki page, the former, uh, this little note here, the former Supreme Mimi DeLong priest shares the same surname as supposed distant cousins of Constance Langdon and parents of Michael Langdon and her cover story in the final episode of murder house in which Constance Langdon says, he was the child of distant cousins on my mother's side, the DeLong Prees of Virginia, Eveline and Steve. So there's a relation to the DeLong Prees through Constance, which would connect Michael to a magic family, which I just thought was interesting. 
Um, Ryan Murphy also posted on Instagram uh, a a photo of his American Horror Story Apocalypse cast with a caption AHS Infinity War, which kind of I like that. Yeah, you know, proves a lot of what we had said. But I feel like if this is really Infinity War, obviously we're getting connections to Hotel, we're getting connections to Coven, we're getting some of our favorite seasons. But I feel like it can't really be an Infinity War when we're missing some of our favorite characters. Like, how can it be an Infinity War without an Angela Bassett? You know what I mean? Oh, agreed. She has to be in there. She has to be in there. Um, I mean, we need Liz Taylor to show up too, though. Yeah, Dennis O'Hare. He's. A, mm-hmm. I feel like he's very necessary. Um, Zachary Quinto, I feel like, is a pretty solid. Oh, yeah. Um, Finn Whitrock we're missing too many of our I mean to really call it Infinity War I feel like we're missing too many of our favorite all time characters I guess there's still time left in this season but that seems a little ambitious I know we've kind of called it Infinity War and just the you know the intersection of all these seasons but I'm still a little skeptical if if, you know this cast list that he put out is missing um, those people although he does include some people we haven't uh, yet seen the season including Lily Rabe so she's going to be back in some way uh, Stevie Nicks. That was my and, question. My, you know, is Langdon gonna go get Michael Langdon gonna go get Misty Day back? Also, it's. I mean, we're gonna see Lily Rabe in one form or another. Um, whether she's in her character as Misty Day or whether she's in her character as Mrs. Montgomery in Murder House, I guess we'll see. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we know mm-hmm. we're now getting Jessica Langdon back. Or sorry, or sorry, Jessica Lang, Jessica Lang back in episode six. <laughs> and before we go, or did you have any questions for me before we talk about the preview for next episode, next season, or sorry, next episode? Yeah, my only, you know, the big question I had about this episode is why the need to fool everyone into thinking he's a warlock? Like, why does why does Michael need to be in the school, and why is he tricking everyone that he's a warlock? Like, what's the purpose of getting into the school? Obviously, it wasn't part of his plan. He gets picked up by them, but he has the power to do whatever he wants. Essentially, why did he have to go to the school and do this? You know, I got the impression that. Young Michael still didn't quite know his purpose in the world. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe he maybe he hadn't tapped into his inner, you know, satanic father yet. Even though he was with you know Miss Mead worshiping Satan, he hadn't really spoken to Satan before. Or really, kind of found the inner demon inside of himself, and was still looking for some kind of purpose or some kind of community. And so I don't know that I really necessarily think he was infiltrating the Warlock school so much as he was um, a lost boy. I, and Yeah, and effectively they kind of gave him a place, and, and then he, he kind of discovered his powers through their, you know, tutelage. <laughs> um, because remember when he's getting driven away, Miss um, Mead, or the original Miss Mead, uh, is looking and says, that boy's going to make me proud. Right, and I think there's genuine. Obviously, having created the robot version of Miss Mead, there's genuine. There's genuine sentimentality there, and I think that in the flashbacks, we really see him as more of kind of a young man who, while he certainly has a dark side, is not as demonic as right. we see him as the current modern day manifestation of Michael. Who I mean, no, with I mean, we can assume somehow prompted this apocalypse. So right, that that that's my take on it but i mean you know perhaps we'll learn more if we get a little bit more of the origins of the apocalypse itself which i'm sure is coming so next week's preview episode um you know we see cordelia say that she has a vision of the future do you so remembering now that cordelia has visions of different things is it possible that 
this whole season is that, you know, we talked about the apocalypse, whether or not it really happens and all this different stuff. Is it possible that the apocalypse that we're seeing is just a vision by Cordelia that hasn't yet happened? Or, you know, what do you make of the, the episode preview? I think that she's going to see some very vague generalizations of, like, I think we see some of her um, visions in the uh, preview, which is, you know, Miss Robichaud's house is essentially like mowed down or blown up from a the nuclear bomb, whatever it might be. Um, so I think she sees that. I don't, I'm interested to see, and I didn't really get a good sense of this, if she sees certain individuals still alive. And perhaps it's she sees Michael Langdon, you know, reigning supreme over the wasteland. Uh, but that is, at least for me, it was a lot of just general landscapey shots that I couldn't get a good read on exactly what she sees and how that's going to kind of set things in motion for uh, her and the other witches mobilizing. Did you kind of get any, did you get any shots in there that made you think of, you know, what she's going to see? Nothing really clarifying, but I do. Th- I mean, there's a situation. There's a scene where she has a scar on her body that I. It's not really clear Ooh. where that came from. Oh yes, yes. But I, you know, I, I do think that it seems, at least from the preview, that we're getting a little bit outside of the um, outpost number three into the world a little bit. Whether it's flashbacks from before the apocalypse or whether it's currently happening, it's not quite clear. But at least we're not kind of claustrophobically stuck in Outpost number three for next episode, which is, I think, a good Thank time. God. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, you know, I think it's a good note uh, to end on, and, and you know, I, yeah. I'm feeling pretty good about it heading into episode five. I, I think I'm, I'm feeling pretty good, too. I'm liking, I'm liking the direction we're going. I just hope it keeps up the pace. Yeah, and it, we don't get too bogged down in just doing tons and tons of flashbacks. I'm okay with flashbacks, but that sometimes can be too daunting to to sit through when you have three or four episodes in a row where this happens. I'm okay sure. right now. I'm good, but yeah, yeah, let's I agree. Be, with you uh, can... judicious about it. <laughs> For sure. I very much agree with you, and I feel like I'm, I'm appreciating that some of the writing is coming together a little bit, and I hope that it stays on mm-hmm. that path. Uh, with that being said, Chris, where can people find you between now and next week? I am on Instagram and Twitter, at Chris Husted, Chris with a K. How about you, Tyler? You all can check me out on Twitter at TJMoss11, and of course, you can join our conversation at Facebook.com slash This American Horror Story Podcast. And you can check us out on uh, by emailing us at, at uh, thisamericanhorrorstory at gmail.com. We appreciate your uh, theories and thoughts and any feedback you have. And, of course, um, rate us and review us on iTunes. We, we sincerely appreciate that. Uh, with that being said, we will check you out next week for episode number five of American Horror Story Apocalypse. Until then, happy hunting.